We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of MRP, Minority Report Podcast, with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today's episode is sponsored by Ground Truth, a media company that turns real-world behavior into marketing that delivers real business results. So today, joining us is Tanisha Griggs. Tanisha is the Vice President and Head of Global Media at Terminus. Let's jump in and get to know Tanisha. Tanisha, welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? All right. We're excited you're here. We're excited to hang with you for a little bit. I'm even more excited. I was excited when you first mentioned your podcast. I had checked, you know, a few episodes out and I think you all are doing amazing work. So proud to be here. Oh, thanks, Tanisha. That's awesome. And thank you. Obviously, nobody's going to know that we we had an opportunity to sort of meet at a really fun event that was just last year. We were actually at the Ad Exchanger Awards, the uh, annual awards for the best of the best. And it was so fun being with you and your colleagues because you were a nominee for a, a great award. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was nominated for Advertiser of the Year. So I was nominated for a project that I had worked on to spearhead the Forrester evaluation where we were actually nominated as a B2B advertising platform, like the category leader. So it was really fun. You know, it was nominated for that. I know you were nominated. It was probably more fun for you because you won your award. (laughs) (laughs) It it was good. It was good. It was a good feeling. And I think it was certainly a fun night for a lot of folks. So it um, was. It was like a yeah. panel, though, so it was. There were no losers. <laughs> we had the best table too. We had the best table. <laughs> we did. <laughs> you know what was a a lot of fun was learning about so many you know different companies you know in the space and a lot of great work out there. So for those that don't know what Terminus does, can you tell us a little bit about Terminus? Sure. So we're in the MarTech space. We are an account-based marketing platform. So we help advertisers you know, stand up ABM programs through technology as well as professional services. So if you have a business and you're advertising or selling to other businesses, we can help you figure out like, who's your best customer? What does that look like? Let's look for intense signals to see like who's in market to buy and then advertise to those accounts and then measure full funnel attribution and basically help you really quantify the return on your ad investment. And I know that's the plight of marketers trying to, you know, figure out like return on ad spend and the ROI, but we help you be able to quantify that as well. That's cool. I can't wait to ask you about how you eventually ended up at a company like Terminus and moved into the space. But first, tell us a little bit about Tanisha. Tell us about you. Where did you grow up? And, And tell us a little bit about your family. Sure. So I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. I live in Atlanta now. I migrated down. I ran track when I was in high school. So I had a full ride to LSU and Georgia Tech. So that, you know, afforded me the ability to get a full ride and relocate from Michigan. My family is still in Detroit. I am the middle child. So I have an older sister. She's an engineer and she's in Detroit. And then I have a younger brother. He works for Delta Airlines and he lives in New York. And then I have my two parents uh, still in Michigan as well. That's awesome. I mean, I'm always fascinated about the experiences of an athlete. I mean, you mentioned your full ride, like that had to be a, a unique experience for you or was it unique for you and your family? What was that like? 
was very unique. I mean, when I came out of high school, I was third in the country in hurdles. And so it was definitely uncharted territory. Like, I mean, I didn't grow up seeing, like having a family of athletes, like my parents, you know, were working class and entrepreneurs and put kind of that spirit of like discipline in me and, you know, definitely helped push me to get there. But being able to move and to basically live on my own in a state with having like no family, it was a pretty hard adjustment. So I think it was a lot of character building, a lot of survival. But ultimately, I think that all all of this led me to where I am now. So I'm just grateful for all of my experiences. And Tanisha, one more question about your athletic experience and and doing track and field. I always find like a lot of correlations between athletics and the business world in terms of you got to be disciplined, you have to practice, you have to prepare, all those things. And, And I'm curious to hear how much of growing up as an athlete and then even into college prepared you for the business world as well? Absolutely. All of those are like table stakes. Like you have to have all those characteristics. I think one thing is that you develop this like hatred of losing. (laughs) And so it's like- You're competitive. You're competitive. (laughs) I like that. Hatred of losing. That's good. So it's like, okay, you have to remember, you're like, okay, I'm not on the track. Like it's not a competition. (laughs) And then also too, it doesn't help that like track is an individual sport. So you have like some athletes who are used to like being a team sport, you have basketball, you're assisting, you know, you're trying to move the ball around. You're playing as a team the entire time with track. It's one lane and you're racing against the clock. So I think it's an added layer of competitiveness there because you're like, I'm all by, I'm by myself. Like, I know we came together as a team, but like for this race, this one race, like you're really not my team member. I'm trying to destroy you. So I think that like, you have to like take a step back and remember like as you're working on teams and like corporate America, like it's a basketball team. You have to like have that coordination, that collaboration that it's not as much of an individual sport. There is still a team dynamic that you have to consider. That was an adjustment for me. <laughs> so you, said you mentioned your family and your parents' kind of entrepreneurship and what kind of things do you, you think you learned you know, about them that helps you today? Feeling, seeing, living firsthand all of that. What was that like? And what have you carried forward with that? Hmm. I think that I learned the value of pursuing your dreams, like being able to set a goal and to like go after it. Like my mom, she was in corporate America and she always had this dream of like starting a restaurant and she literally walked away from her job to do it. And was it wildly successful? I would say no, but she didn't have any regrets. And I think that that's kind of one of my guiding principles is to just make sure like, I never have any regrets about the decisions that I make. And my dad, the same, like he was laid off from the plant in Detroit. And he said, hey, I'm never going to like be in a position to, you know, not be able to feed my family because I have to rely on just this one source of income. So he started a construction company and he was very successful at becoming a builder and renovating homes. And so it taught me the importance of having a plan and being prepared. Because 
that took a lot of planning to be able to be successful in the way that he was. So those are just like some of the things that I kind of like took from them. That's great. Important lessons learned and a lot to take forward. You mentioned Detroit and to Atlanta, not the same, the same, not the same, very different. Tell us, uh, tell us about <laughs> You ever heard it's cold in a D? <laughs> like the- Got it. Got it. Cold in a D. I do not miss the weather. Not even a little bit. I mean, it is sunny, 79 degrees here. I bet my family's cold right now. <laughs> like in Detroit, the people are different. Like Southern hospitality is a real thing. Like when you move to the South, like people are really open and welcoming in Detroit. It's like, don't talk to me. <laughs> so um, it costs me a cold. too cold. It's too cold. Don't talk to me. We got to get inside. <laughs> and I don't want to generalize like just everyone in that category, but it's just very different, like kind of moving to the South. And also too, I think like Atlanta is such a transient city. It's like a melting pot of people from everywhere. So you really have no choice but to like embrace different cultures. Like I learned so much about different cultures in the South because I work with people of all different races and ethnicities. And I'm just curious about like learning about, you know, the differences between us. So I think that that's one thing that I do appreciate. It's just like so much of everything is like down in Atlanta and like I probably keep this as my home. (laughs) There you go. Tanisha, tell us about your career journey. Yeah, so my career started off, so I went to school for business management. I always thought actually I wanted to be a marketer and I ended up being a marketer, which is pretty unique, I feel like, because most people like don't actually like work in a field that they study. But I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in school. But that was something that I was interested in. I actually wanted to be a songwriter. (laughs) And so... I did like an internship at Def Jam like early on, but then I realized like I needed money and I need to pay my bills. So I started in telecom. I started in sales, retail sales, B2B sales, and then pivoted over to marketing, a compliance role. Honestly, I just took a lot of chances. Like if it was something new and it seemed different than what I was doing, I was like, sign me up. So that was one thing that I did was, you know, take risks pretty, you know, early on in my career. And I did some phenomenal things. I was at AT&T for a long stint in my career. I was in two incubator groups within AT&T. Like one was a big data group and the other was actually AT&T's first customer loyalty program, which was AT&T Thanks. Mm. Five Live Nation, like I was at all the concerts, I mean, private events. I was over there sponsorships and did some like sports programs there. And then I pivoted over to Terminus after like AT&T basically did like a really big merger with DTV, DirecTV, Time Warner around that time. And then they wanted a lot of people to move to LA or either New York. And I just really wasn't ready to uproot my family. So I was in the market for roles. And I think this is where we go, Eric, into how I ended up at Terminus. There you go. (laughs) I like it. And then basically I was in the job market. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I got on LinkedIn and I just went to Atlanta. We're hiring in the search like bar. And Terminus, like the former CEO, Eric Spett, he had, we're hiring on his profile. And I checked out the company and I was like, they have unlimited PTO, they have ping pong tables. Like that was like unique back like six years ago. 
So I was like, I want to work for them. So I just looked up open roles within that company and I came up on an advertising operations manager role. Ask me, did I do advertising operations before? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) But it was different. So I said, sign me up. My former manager, Dan Hellerman, took a chance on me. But it was just like something different. And he wanted to bring a unique perspective to the team, which that's all about, you know, what diversity, equity, inclusion is about Mm -hmm. and giving people chances, taking chances on people, regardless of, you know, not checking all the boxes. And he did that and it worked out really well. And I'm still here five years later, you know, turned a team that was an overhead to a profit center and responsible for the second highest, you know, aspect of our business in terms of revenue as a result. So I'm grateful that he took a risk on me and it's Mm -hmm. something that I reciprocate to as a leader as well. Awesome. Thank you for that. As you were talking and explaining your career journey, one thing that seems to be constant throughout it up until this point is your interest and really not afraid of trying new things or not afraid of taking on new roles. And that seems to have helped you, you know, continue to grow in your career. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because I feel like sometimes when people think about their career journey, it's very sort of like, okay, I'm going to go from this position to this position. I'm just going to keep staying in sort of the same field and growing that way. Right. And, And that's okay. But I think sometimes people need to break outside of that box and try different things. And that's certainly another way of growing your career. And it seems like that's what you've been successful at doing. Yeah, I think you have to understand like what transferable skills you have, Mm. like how you can take that and apply that somewhere else. A large part of that is you being able to convey to that company and that hiring manager how your skills are relevant. Sometimes they just have a disconnect themselves. Right. right. I went into that interview, you know, he asked me, did you have trade desk experience? I'm like, nope. He's like, you know, you have experience with any, you know, DSPs? Nope. Like, but I didn't focus on that because every time he would say that, I would say, here's what I do have. And Mm -hmm. here's how this can help your team. This is how this can help you achieve the goals you're looking for. It was me being able to advocate for myself. And so I think that it, it's not easy, but you really have to like study the role and then understand like what value you bring to the table and be able to clearly articulate that. So that's something that I've been able to do really well. And it's something I definitely coach other people to do because mm-hmm. like you don't want to go for if I don't even want someone who has just had a role exactly like the one that I have. Yeah. Because otherwise, why are you leaving your current role, what you're doing? You should be looking to diversify your skill set, stretch you in a new way, right? Like take a different set of skills and try to enhance those and grow those. So honestly, like I do want people who have done something different before in some kind of unique way as I think about building a team. Because otherwise, like, you know, I just feel like you'll be bored coming over and doing the same thing you've just been doing for the last two or three years. True. Very true. What do you love about the role that you're in today? I love that. I know people say this, but it's really true. Like no day is the same. (laughs) Like, because I get to problem solve. Like I have like an alter ego at work. So I feel like I'm like the Olivia Pope of advertising, but without the scandal. She was the fixer. 
And people come to me with problems. Like they come to me with gaps in terms of like, I need to increase revenue by 50%. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Or I have to create X many opportunities. I don't really have a way to do it. So it's me like helping them reframe their strategy. It's me helping them think about a new way to redistribute their budgets, new channels to incorporate, being experimental and testing. Like, you know, let's test out some new concepts. So for me, I like the problem solving aspect of it. That's probably my favorite part of the role. That's great. Nisha, I want to switch gears a little bit. I wanted to ask you about this because I'm fascinated with some stuff with you and your son that you've done that's that's really, really cool. And um, there's two things I want to ask about. The first is, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about a post that you shared with everybody during the pandemic, just having your son be able to write notes to you while you're doing calls, you know, how we get wrapped up in calls and and our kids learn how to do little things. They adjust for us, right? And I thought that was, that was fascinating. But really, I, I wanted to ask you about the book you guys wrote. Okay. I don't know if you can read this. I <laughs> don't stay on my desk. And this was totally not planned. Eric, you know that. But uh, not planned. Yeah. Not planned. So, so just now, this is totally organic. This is the last note. It says, can you please make me food? I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> With, look, at the, look at the sad face, though. It's, it's effective. I mean, it's the fact that it's kind of sad at the same time. Yeah. But I assure you, he wasn't starving. I assure you, my son. They exaggerate sometimes. It's both both Eric and I have kids. We we know. So I'm like working at my desk, and then you know my son. He comes in from school. He takes the bus, so I'll stop, let him in, and then I'm usually like, "Hey, can you wait until at least after my call, or if I know I have back to back calls, I'll prepare lunch." But he's learned to adapt. And I think that it's part of the pandemic, like also too, because we've had to adapt. I wouldn't generally even be home during these working hours with him. So it's a little bit different because I would be at work and he would be at school. But like there was a silver lining in the pandemic that, you know, a lot of us were able to like shift and work remote. So even though I'm not like actively like sitting there with him and talking to him, it's still time that we are here together. But, you know, during this time, he is seven and I still have to remember that, that sometimes he is speaking in the background sometimes and he forgets he has to be quiet because I'm working. But I'm just grateful that he's been so understanding and kind of stepped it up to like be able to now communicate in this way. And mm-hmm. I try to, if I can, just take a break and give him that time, even if it's a couple minutes, he just wants attention. So I try to, you know, be mindful of that. I'm sure lots and lots of listeners and viewers can relate to that and can can understand that. So thank you for sharing that with us. I have to ask you about Rock in the Pocket. I love this. Can you tell the audience about about Rock in the Pocket and, and what that is? Yeah, so Rock in the Pocket. I keep everything at my desk. You'll be like, what does she have here? So <laughs> this was our pandemic creation too. So like another like silver lining. So what we did is like, this was our bonding time. So we created like little pocket rocks. And so this is Rocky, Slammy, and Buddy. Rocky is actually my nickname since I was a baby. So I have family members that don't know my real name. If I showed them this video, they'd be like, Tanisha. <laughs> but me is my son's nickname, Slam, and then Buddy is my brother. 
we created the rocks because first we just started painting them and it was just like our bonding time. And then I had a friend say like, this is really good. Like you guys should like write a book. It's like never even thought about it. And then I was like, hey, do you want to write a book together? And so he thought it was such a cool idea. And we were trying to think about concepts to write about. And he wanted to write about like, in his word, like, you know, happy messages. And he wanted to write a book that was going to make people feel good. So I said, let's write a book about like kids who experience challenges and maybe the rocks will talk to them and help them. So we co-authored a book together and we published it last year. And it was probably one of my like most proud like accomplishments to be able to have that vision and to be able to follow through because I've often had a hard time like following through with things things get hard and just kind of saying like, hey, I'll just move on to the next thing. So it taught me something. It taught him something. And it was a really proud moment for him to be an author. And we were actually featured on Fox News. Hey, congrats. Yeah, that had to be a lot of fun. What are some things that you think he's learning along the way from you now being in the shared workspace, right? Understanding kind of like, you know, a mom has to deal with and, and do with. What are some things that you think that he's learning? Yeah, I think that, well, one, he's learned how to adapt, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) And hold his hunger. But I think he's learning and seeing the work ethic because he understands like I'm working to provide for him. And it's also like really teaching him like the values, like in terms of like the kind of structure of a family. And he understands that I'm doing this to provide for him. So he is very compassionate about like if I'm working late, and understanding, like, if I may not have the time for him. And I, in turn, try to be mindful of that for him so that I'm not that always that working mom. I feel like I'll never regret, like, the time that I give to him, but I would regret the time that I take from him. So just being mindful of that and being conscious of that, I think he he's aware. Tanisha, your answer there was perfect for my next question, which was I was going to ask you about work-life balance. Is there such a thing as work-life balance? Or is it like, you know, you've got things you got to get done during the day, whether it's at work or at home? And how do you manage and juggle all that? Yeah, well, you got the right one because yes, it is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I require it. Yeah. I am so intentional about work-life balance that I articulate that in my interviews. (laughs) Like I say that like this is a requirement for me I mean you have to advocate for yourself I'll like always kind of go back to that theme you have to like know what you want and know how to advocate for yourself and you you're working someone you feel like is requiring 12 hours of you a day you have to advocate and say like hey is this efficient are we prioritizing things the right way do we need another headcount I'm really good at that and I'm really good at articulating that to like my leadership And they're really receptive of that. And so I would say if I was in the space that they weren't, I would question if this is the place for me. So I feel like everyone can have work-life balance and I don't want to minimize anyone who like may not have that and may say, oh, it's harder than you think. I think that like you have to like really like understand like your priorities and Mm. that at the center, because if your priority is your family and if it's being at home or doing, you know, working out or doing the things that you love to do, 
I would say like, maybe what are those trade-offs then? Like, I feel like it's all a prioritization effort and what am I willing to walk away from to make sure that those big rocks, those kind of core pillars in my life are being taken care of and that I'm prioritizing those. So for me, it's absolutely Absolutely. required. Thank you, Tanisha. I want to ask you about like your work experience and even as an athlete too, you've worked for big companies. You've had a lot of experience around a lot of different types of groups of people. I want to ask you a little bit about moments where you've felt sort of discrimination happen at some point. What are some experiences that you've had and lessons learned and and how you have overcame some of that? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I would say probably in my past, I've handled discrimination differently in my past versus like how I would now. It's unfortunate because I'm much more equipped and I wonder like, how do you equip people earlier? Like for mm. these types of challenges. Great question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because like the things that I feel like I faced in my past, I didn't lean in and I didn't like, I wasn't good to advocating for myself. Mm. And I would say that for me, like I've been passed up on roles that I know I was more qualified for. And I feel like it's almost in a sense normalized. And it's so subjective that it's hard for like there to be real ownership there. There's hard for there to be accountability because then someone just says, well, well, you weren't qualified, but it's like, well, why? And you ask the questions and you never get the answers. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate, but I would say like how I handle discrimination now is like much more proactively. Like I was on a women's lunch and learn and I said a quote and they ended up putting it on a tote bag and a t-shirt. It was crazy. Like I was just saying it like off the top of my head, but I was saying like, be so damn good. You're undeniable. And being able to work my way up as a leader so that I could be a part of the change has been much more of a focus for me. And I'm going to say, I don't still experience it. And I do still feel like there are times where I question, I say, well, I wonder if I look, differently would there be a different outcome unfortunately you kind of never get the answer to that question very true but i think it's up to you as an individual to have a kind of a battle plan like you know the art of war like you always have to be prepared and have a battle plan and when you face discrimination how will you approach it And like I said, I'm much more equipped now, like to know that I'm not going to be complicit in silence, that I'm going to stand up for myself. And if I don't see the change that I require, then I'm going to remove myself from that environment. Like what I'm not going to do, though, is like just tolerate it and just take what's handed to me. A long time ago, I heard from like one of my mentors, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. So that's something that I like to keep in terms of, in in my mind, that if I don't see things happening the way that I would like for them to see for me, right? And I can't negotiate that, then I also have to be prepared to walk away from that. And sometimes I feel like people aren't really prepared to walk away. What a great way to describe something that I think a lot of people can connect with, right? If this can happen so long and so 
frequently that there's a version of you that can handle something as an early version of you. And then there's a version of you later on that knows how to handle the same thing because it's been happening. Mm-hmm. What an interesting thing to sort of think about, you know, because that's, that's reality. I want to ask you about mentorship and mentors. So you mentioned having a mentor or mentors and what's that like for you? How do you mentor others? Do you, or what's it been like having mentors? Yeah, mentors are critical. And I think that the way that mentorship was like positioned to me, it's like you have one, like get you a mentor. But I would say get you many mentors. I probably have like 10. A mentor is like a trusted advisor, like somebody you can go to, but you have all these different like dimensions of your life. There's mm-hmm. one yeah. mentor that's going to be able to help you across all of them. Great points. Yeah. I may have one for my career. It maybe internally at work, but there may be some things that I don't necessarily feel all the way comfortable with discussing with someone at work. So maybe they're still career oriented, but not like an employee at the same company. I have them in my personal life, friendships, relationships, and parent. I'm really grateful because, you know, having mentors, someone to be able to give you a different perspective. For those that don't, you can quickly realize like you don't have all the answers. And sometimes you just need another person to bounce ideas off. Sometimes you just need someone to like stop you writing your tracks and say like, no, th- that's not how you do it. I had a mentor when I worked for AT&T. Her name's Shabeth Okone. She's probably one of the most influential mentors I've had in my career. But she would just stop me and she'd say like, hey, are you planning on sending this email to someone? And I'm like, yeah, do you want your job? (laughs) Okay, don't do that. But like, she just knew how to communicate with me in a way that was going to like really make me listen and kind of make me understand the magnitude of some of my decisions. So I definitely get mentors who do not agree with me (laughs) in a lot of, you know, scenarios, people that challenge me, that stretch me. Sometimes I don't like the way I feel about it. I'm stubborn. I'm a Taurus. I was kind of wired this way. But if I don't feel uncomfortable after these conversations, I feel like, hey, like if it's a little bit too comfortable, I question if I'm being stretched. So that's important to me. But I do mentor a lot as well, too. I have several mentees. And it's just me reciprocating. I live by the quote, like, as you rise, you lift. And so, you know, that keeps me grounded to be able to mentor and give back because so many people are pouring into me. And as my cup is being filled, that overflow is able to, you know, be passed on to those that, you know, are up and coming or maybe we're even like at the same level. Like, I don't fear competition anymore because I feel like I'm racing against the clock. What's for me is for me. You could be in the Mm -hmm. lane for you. I don't mind helping you because I don't feel like you're ever going to take anything that's mine anyway. So as much as I can give important to people, I do. Where do you draw inspiration from? My faith. (laughs) I would say definitely my faith, the spiritual part of me, because like I said, like I, I just align myself to purpose and I feel like it keeps me from being disappointed when Things don't necessarily happen the way I want to. The outcomes that I want don't necessarily happen. I was listening to a podcast and they were saying, 
you know, only about 20% of your goals, you know, you're actually going to hit. And, you know, they have all kind of crazy stats for everything, but it sounded good at the time. And they were like, hey, if you're, you know, hitting all your goals, I would say that your goals like aren't hard enough. So Mm -hmm. if you attach yourself to outcomes, you're always going to be disappointed. So, you know, I try to attach myself to a larger purpose of like why I'm here. And, you know, that's me like getting gratification and developing other people, coaching people, mentoring people, helping other people. I think that that's one of the kind of biggest inspirations is probably my faith. All right. Fun question for you. What's in your music rotation these days? My music rotation, you wouldn't want my playlist. You Give it to us. Tell us. <laughs> I'm, I'm not like music for me is like mindless, like noise happening in the background. It's like a soundtrack to my thoughts. Like I really don't even listen to the words. I would say like Corinne Bailey Ray, like Jasmine Sullivan, Summer Walker, on the way to work, I used to like to listen to trap music. I don't know why, like, <laughs> listen to like Migos or Dipsy Hustle. That was always like my work commute music, but I don't commute to work anymore. So probably need to like figure out how to switch that back on. But yeah, you wouldn't want to switch my plays. I don't keep up with the latest music. I just kind of play it in the background. No, I, I, I actually want more. I want to, I want to hear more. I want to hear how, how crazy it gets. <laughs> my music does not get crazy at all <laughs> like i don't even know like it's so many rappers and artists now with like anybody being able to distribute music now i just have no idea the names of most artists like most of the music sounds the same to me so i'm not a big music buff at all <laughs> well thanks for sharing those with us Tanisha. it was a lot of fun talking with you and spending some time with you you know a lot of our listeners like to stay in touch what are some of the best ways that they can reach out to you and, and stay in touch with you? Sure. So LinkedIn is probably the best place to reach me. The spelling of my name is T-E-N-I-S-H-A Griggs, G-R-I-G-G-S, Tanisha Griggs. And I definitely accept every invite. And if you send me a message, I'll write back. Like I said, I love giving tips. If you have questions on advertising, life advice, whatever, I'm here for it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. You shared a lot with us. A lot of good stuff learned, you know. Be so damn good. You're undeniable, right? Get, your toe. <laughs> get yourself some mentors, right? Not one, get many, right? Any mentors. And I think what was great, too, you sharing that, you know, if you're a hiring manager or somebody looking, you know, a talent and looking to hire, take chances, right? Don't check. Don't look for somebody who checks off all the boxes and take risks because, you know, that, that reward can be pretty big. So thank you so much for spending time with us. And also thank you so much to our sponsor, Ground Truth, a media company that turns real world behavior into marketing that delivers real business results. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And you can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks for listening to another episode of MRP. MRP.